Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi braces for Tropical Storm Ida. Then the state legislature eyes the elimination of the income tax. And community colleges fend off COVID as a new school year begins. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tropical Storm Ida is expected to make landfall in Louisiana or Mississippi this weekend. Phil Grigsby of the National Weather Service in New Orleans joins us now live. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. So let's let's start with the status now. I understand that Tropical Storm Ida has already almost doubled its wind speed in the Gulf as it approaches Cuba. That's correct. Yeah, the wind speeds have increased uh, up to 60 miles per hour, um, and the storm is getting better organized and uh, continuing to strengthen as it moves uh, through the uh, northwest Caribbean uh, towards uh, the western portions of Cuba this morning. Uh, The forward speed has increased as well a little bit. It's moving northwest at 15 miles per hour now. Is Is that faster than normal? Uh, no, that's not really fast. It's actually pretty average for okay. the speed, but uh, yesterday it was only moving at about 12 miles an hour. So it's getting embedded into the uh, into this, this steering current, like we typically call this, this flow that is going to direct it here towards uh, the northern Gulf Coast. Is this expected to become a hurricane before it makes landfall? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, the current projection right now has it uh, becoming a hurricane um, sometime during the day tomorrow. Uh, and then further strengthening is expected as it moves across the Gulf of Mexico, and it's projected to actually be a major hurricane at landfall um, somewhere along the Louisiana coast uh, at, with winds of 115 miles per hour currently projected. What category uh, does that so make it? That makes it a Category 3. All right, and it's possible that it could turn to the right and, and come ashore in Mississippi? Uh, yeah, there's always that possibility. Um, if you look at the cone of uncertainty, uh, you know, the center of the storm tracks about two out of every three times within that cone of uncertainty. And the cone does uh, touch portions of coastal Mississippi, uh, primarily to the west of, of Gulfport. Um, so that's the, the main area. But there's a one out of three chance that it could even cross out of the cone. So everybody along the Mississippi coast should be prepared. There's a hurricane watch in effect 
across the entire coast of Mississippi at this time. For the coast of Mississippi, uh, storm surge, uh, does storm surge come before the storm, as the storm comes ashore? When's the most dangerous time for that? Um, so, yeah, we'll actually start to see tides increasing. Um, they, they've already started to increase a little bit today, um, just from an east wind, uh, but we'll see tides further increasing tomorrow. Um, the main surge impacts are going to occur when the storm is, is getting close to close to shore, and that's going to occur Sunday uh, into Sunday night time frame, uh, depending on, you know, exactly how fast the speed of the storm is and, and where it makes landfall. So that, that's when we're expecting the worst of the surge to occur. Why is there this rapid intensification? We saw it in Laura last year, and here we go again with Ida. Um, yeah, so the Gulf is very, very warm. Um, we have, uh, you know, ter- surface temperatures on the ocean that are, you know, in the mid-80s. Um, so there's plenty of fuel that the uh, the hurricane is going to be able to tap into. And then the, the overall conditions are very favorable. There's going to be very little what we call wind shear in place. Um, there's going to be um, a, uh, a broad area of high pressure that's going to allow for the, the storm to basically, like, vent out and keep those deep thunderstorms going, and that's going to allow for this, this uh, intensification as it moves across the Gulf of Mexico. Phil, what does Mississippi and Louisiana uh, expect once that storm comes ashore and begins to move to the north? Is it going to be strong? Is there going to be a lot of rain and rain and wind? Yes. Yeah, there's going to be um, quite a bit of wind um, for coastal Mississippi. We're expecting uh, that, you know, you could easily see some tropical storm force and maybe even, you know, some hurricane force wind gusts. Uh, tornadoes are always a concern, especially since we're on the eastern side of the system. Uh, heavy rain is potential. Um, you know, we could get uh, 10 to 15 inches of rainfall. Um, out of the system. And then, of course, the storm surge is a concern. Uh, right now we're projecting somewhere between 7 to 11 feet of storm surge um, for points west of Ocean Springs and for areas uh, east of Ocean Springs over towards the Mississippi-Alabama border is 4 to 7 feet of storm surge. So that's, that's also a concern for people living right along the water. You said 10 to 15 inches. What about as it moves inland? How far up? Uh, what kind of consequences can be expected? Yeah, so the storm is going to be pretty potent as it makes landfall, but it's still going to be potent even as it moves up into central Mississippi. So areas up around Jackson and Meridian um, and Hattiesburg can expect to see, you know, tropical storm force winds. And actually over towards Jackson, we may even still have some hurricane force winds, um, you know, that will be moving through uh, depending on how quickly the system moves moves inland. Uh, the heavy rain is going to be an issue, you know, easily 10 to 15 inches of rain up there as well, which could cause some, some flooding concerns. Is that so, uh, Monday or Tuesday, are we talking? Uh, that's going to be more on Monday. All right. So a lot of the state will be affected by this. Um, yes. How does this storm or the potential uh, of this storm, this potential hurricane, how does it compare to other hurricanes? When, we say, when you say major hurricane, how major? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, we hate to do comparisons because each storm is a little bit different. Um, but, um, you know, this, this system is definitely going to be stronger than what we saw with Zeta last year, uh, that came across the coast, um, as far as, uh, as far as impacts in, in Louisiana. In Mississippi, they're probably, they may be similar to what you saw with Zeta in some of the areas. Um, that, that would be a good comparison. Um, another storm, uh, gosh, there's, it's hard. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly, um, you know, like because each storm is different. So I hate to really do 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 strong comparisons between them. Um, I would just say be prepared, um, you know, for 
high surge values on the coast, um, a lot of, you know, gusty winds, power outages, tornadoes, and heavy rainfall. So if you live near a river or anything, there may be some river flooding issues. All right. Important information. We thank you so much, Phil Grigsby of the National Weather Service in New Orleans. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Coming up, Hancock County braces for Ida. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As meteorologists eye the storm brewing in the Gulf, Mississippi officials move to ready their communities for heavy rain and high winds. Brian Adam is Emergency Management Director for Hancock County. He speaks with Rob Lane. Right now we uh, are having uh, sandbag locations set up at our regular locations that we normally have. We are in the process of monitoring the storm and continue to monitor it so we can the better information we get, the more we can make uh, better decisions. And we're waiting to see uh, what the exact track is and so we can make decisions on evacuation orders and different things like that. What would you encourage residents to do right now to make sure that they're prepared? Continue to get everything ready. Um, at this time, it could potentially be a, a major hurricane. Um, and it, to make sure everything's picked up, go ahead and make plans to, if you're in a low-lying area, which Hancock County has a, a lot of low-lying area, make plans to get out, go stay with a friend somewhere out of the out of harm's way, and uh, be prepared to move quickly. If you're encouraging people to potentially leave their homes for a while, when would you say, I, I, I presume you would say do it as soon as possible, but if you had to draw a deadline where you said by this time you really need to be out, when would that deadline be? Right now, if we're going on what they're giving us right now, uh, without any changes, no later than Saturday uh, afternoon. Okay. If, if it, but but the the timeline is not strict right now yet. So, uh, but if if we had to go on what we're seeing right now, no later than Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. Over the past few months, we've heard from MEMA about this idea of the first seventy-two being on you. That's the idea that. If you are the victim of some kind of natural disaster, it may well take at least 72 hours for emergency resources to reach you. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? The thing is, it, it's all the all the emergency starts local and ends local. And what MEMA means by that is um, they have they'll have resources ready for us at our request if it, it uh, if our capabilities doesn't meet what uh, type of disaster it gives us, they will have resources. But it just you know, depending on the damage, depending on how, you know, how hard is it going to be for them to get down here. Uh, for Katrina, it took a while for them to get down here because we had a lot of uh, trees to be cut and roadways to be cleared. So um, that's what they mean by that, in my opinion, is, you know, depending on the situation. You know, if it's not as bad, they can get down there quicker. If it is, it's going to take them a little bit longer. As the storm is rolling in, of course, the state is also dealing with a major COVID outbreak. Are you concerned about any particular ways in which the storm might interact with the COVID crisis? We're we're just going to, you know, if we open shelters, we're going to have personal protective equipment available. Um, We'll have um, a shelter that if we have people with COVID, 
symptoms or positive where we can move them. Um, so, and that's, that's one of the things. And the, our main concern is to make sure our people who need shelter has shelter. Uh, will you be able to keep or put as many people in one shelter as you might have pre-COVID? Will there be restrictions uh, in terms of number of people in a given shelter? Yeah, yes, uh, you know, because we want to, we want to do our social distancing and make sure everybody has masks. So, yeah, not as many, uh, but we, we have, uh, if we run out of room, we'll request uh, the state uh, the state for help. So, How about hospital capacity? Is there concern there? Uh, it's always. Um, we have but one hospital, and, um, you know, and it depends on what type of storm it is and uh, what type of water we're expected to see, you know could put that, you know, uh, put it in harm's way. And, you know, it just depends. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything else you want people to know? I want the Hancock County citizens to understand that this could potentially be a serious storm. Start preparing now and be ready to to move. If you're in an area that's flooded on the different storms, and Hancock County has a lot of low-lying areas, so uh, preparation should be already ongoing to get out of harm's way. All right. Thank you, sir. We appreciate your work. All right. Thank you. Brian Adam is Emergency Management Director for Hancock County. One note, this is a rapidly changing situation. And since our conversation with Mr. Adam, Tropical Storm Ida looks to have sped up. Residents of low-lying areas in its path should adjust, adjust their plans accordingly. Coming up, lawmakers contemplate elimination of the state income tax. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi lawmakers met Wednesday and Thursday to discuss the potential elimination of the state income tax. It's an idea that's floated through the halls of the Capitol for years and recently gained new momentum thanks to the efforts of House Speaker Philip Gunn. Kyra Roby, who's a policy analyst at the advocacy group One Voice, urged legislators yesterday not to eliminate the tax. She's concerned the loss of revenue could strangle basic government services in the state. Studies show that cuts to infrastructure, poor education systems, limited workforce talent, public safety, and other services place a greater risk on small business development and factors such as poor health, low levels of education, lack of necessary infrastructure have a greater impact on people's decision to move than do cuts to individual income taxes. We can also look to the experience of other states as well. In the early 2010s, Kansas, Maine, North Carolina, Ohio, and Wisconsin cut personal income taxes by large amounts in hopes of boosting their state's economies. As the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities states, all five saw slower growth in private sector uh, GDP than the United States as a whole over the next five years, and four of the five saw slower growth in private sector jobs. Russ Latino of Empower Mississippi made the case for income tax elimination. Is it possible to operate without an income tax and still be successful as a state? And we don't have to guess because there are nine examples of it. So revenue in those states has grown by 50% between the years 2010 and 2019. 50% revenue growth 
in the nine states that don't have income taxes. Mississippi has 32%, 32.3% in that time period revenue growth. The interesting part about that is Mississippi has experienced, the government has experienced 32.3% revenue growth over the last 10 years, uh, while our economy has been largely stagnant when adjusted for inflation. Um, so the sign is that government is not starving itself. It's growing at a pace that is exceeding the growth of the private sector economy in the state of Mississippi right now. Still not as fast as the states that don't have income taxes. One notable stanza within the largely dry proceedings, a clash between outspoken Senate Democrat Hob Bryan and veteran conservative activist Grover Norquist. In a particularly tense moment, Bryan accused Norquist of indifference towards poverty in the state. You're not concerned that wealth is being concentrated. And some of the people it's being concentrated among or, or people who just shuffle paper. I live in Washington, D.C. I see the federal bureaucracy every day. So the people who get paid twice as much as the rest of the country to do the same work, federal employees, when you look at their benefits and their um, uh, pensions and so on, at least tw- two times the, the price of the average but, citizen, but, but again, that is a Norquist, of wealth. Mr. Norquist, I don't mean to be rude. Pay. And we have listened to what you had to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm you've, answering your question. you've had your say. At this point, rhetorical jockeying is all lawmakers can do. They won't be able to vote on an income tax repeal until early next year. Coming up, community colleges and COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Earlier this week, Louisiana State University made proof of a COVID vaccination or a negative test mandatory for admission to a Tigers football game. They're one of a number of state universities looking to get tough on COVID as fall classes begin. Junior colleges, too, are concerned about the Delta variant. But in many cases, funding disparities prevent them from moving as quickly or decisively as their jumbo counterparts. Tony Montgomery, who is dean of students at Eastern Mississippi Community College, tells Desiree Frazier he wants to make the most of limited resources. Right now, we are all, all indoor facilities are mass mandated. We're actually having uh, vaccination shots being put on our campus. We had it yesterday and today, and we just got our COVID nurse, who is our full-time employee. Uh, she has become a provider, and she will be able to start being able to administering the vaccinations herself. Oh, which okay. is which is wonderful. We're because with all with all the hospitals and everything, trying to get people to come in and give the vaccinations has become kind of tough. Uh, they just don't have a lot of extra people, and so like today we have the Northeast uh, Mississippi Northeast Coalition in, uh, but they can only be here for three hours. And uh, so for her to be able to become a provider and be able to administer the shots herself, now basically our students will, our students, our community, our faculty, our staff, they'll have the ability to, you know, get a vaccination shot, you know, whenever they choose to. Do you see folks taking advantage of that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. A lot of, a lot of our sports, you know, we're, you know, we're, nothing is, 
mandatory. Nothing is mandatory beside, with the exception of the mask. Now, that is mandatory in all of our buildings. A lot of our sports, they're, they're really, their percentages are extremely high on the number of students that have taken the vaccinations. But then also we have a lot of students that have come in. They were there today, yesterday. I don't know how many has been there today. I haven't been down there since they started giving the shots. I've been in a meeting. Do you feel like you're getting cooperation or is there any hesitancy from students or staff about what you've put in place? No, I've been very, very pleased. Now, this is not the first time we've had a mass mandate. Uh, we had a mass mandate back in the fall. You know, our biggest thing is just being able to uh, put the mask in their hands. As far as them cooperating with wearing the mask, that has not been an issue. But we've got all of our buildings set up where we have extra masks. And so if a student walks in and, and forgets a mask or leaves one when they go from one one room to another, then, you know, we have plenty of masks that we give them, and they've been cooperating. I've been very pleased on that. One of the things that was a concern last year when college started was trying to keep young people from grouping up because they want to congregate together. Correct, correct. And so... In the toughest part, like our where we would normally have visitation and things, we had to cut that out in our dormitories. But now, as far as like being outside and and doing things, if they're outside and we're we're not having a lot of a lot of issues now. The number of students on our campus living on campus is probably around seventy five percent of what it was, you know, back in two thousand nineteen. So we don't have near the number of students on campus that we did. And so that's one of the reasons we don't have as much issue with uh, people grouping up in, in, in large number of groups. This is an added responsibility for you. It seems like it would, and I don't know, but an additional bit of pressure because you don't want people to get sick. You want to have everything in place, but there will still be people who get COVID. Yes, correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had family members. I've had friends. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, this is this is affecting everyone. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I take this as just another way that we try to serve and protect our students, you know, and we just, we're doing everything possible that we can. We've had great help, you know, from, from uh, grants and things to help us financially to be able to provide things in our classrooms and in our dormitory rooms and uh, with all the PPE uh, this this allowed us this helped us do that, and and I'm telling you the cooperation of our students that has probably been what what's been most. I have I'm, I'm I've been dealing we've been dealing with this for over a year, and I can put on one hand how many incidents I've had issues with students not wanting to be wearing their mask and just following the things that we've asked them to do. So I give I give all that credit to the students. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to point out about this? I just feel I feel very blessed that that I know last year when this was coming out and we was you know a lot of our testing was going on and and our average rate of positives were you know in that four and five percent range. That was just I I feel very blessed that we have not had to deal with 
some of the some of the problems that some of the bigger schools have had to deal with in some of the bigger cities. You know, we we've been very fortunate that we haven't had near the the uh, positive rates and the issues that uh, other people's had to deal with. So. So that's been a blessing. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this important issue and filling us in and filling the community statewide in on what your campus is doing. Yes, ma'am. No problem at all. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.